Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, Dr. Sarah Hansen talks with Sarah Nystrom as they wrap up our series on grief. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Well, hello, Eastlake. Welcome back to the third week of our grief series. Um, if you haven't watched the last two weeks, you might not know that we have been in a three-week series on grief. And um, today is our last one. So I am joined by my um, my friend Sarah Nystrom, and I'm gonna introduce her in a moment or actually have her introduce herself. Um, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of a, kind of a roadmap of where we're gonna be headed today. So uh, we get to hear a little bit from Sarah and about her journey with grief. And then she and I are just gonna have a, kind of an open dialogue conversation. So you're gonna get both of us uh, on the cuff a little bit, which could always be interesting um, especially when you have Sarah and I talking, it could turn dark, right, Sarah? I mean, um, yes. <laughs> and then we're going to be sharing about kind of the what, what to do's and what not to do's, um, in terms of maybe, um, if you yourself are going through, um, a season of grief, it might be a chance just to hear and relate to some of the things that, um, people can sometimes do. Um, perhaps with good intentions, but that can be hurtful or painful. And we're going to also be sharing um, for people that are supporting those who are going through grief and the grieving process, what might be helpful and not helpful. Um, and then lastly, Sarah and I are each going to share a grief, um, like a grief practice that, that we have found to be helpful. So um, before we begin and before Sarah uh, gets to introduce herself, I just wanted to give um, a small trigger warning in just the sense that obviously we're going to be talking about some difficult things, um, parental death, parental estrangement, infertility, um, chronic illness. Um, and on, honestly, some of the responses, um, that Sarah and that, um, I've heard of in response to grief can be just painful to have to kind of relive. And so we just wanted to give kind of that warning out of the gate. And so, and just encourage you to take care of yourself um, as you're listening. So Sarah, would you mind just kind of introducing yourself and, um, sharing a little bit about your story? Yeah, absolutely. So Sarah Nystrom, um, Washington born and raised, um, went to Seattle Pacific university, graduated with a degree in English, went to UW for, um, getting a certificate in editing, getting my MFA in creative writing. So I'm a word nerd, definitely. <laughs> uh, I have books, like <laughs> my to read list is probably, um, you know, one of those things that is never going to be accomplished <laughs> over the course of my life, but I keep buying books anyway. Um, yeah, and I, speaking of the grief journey side, yeah. Um, I, oh, I should probably mention, I am married to the very mm. wonderful Aaron Nystrom. Yes. Um, he plays key parts in my story. So, um, I, at age three was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and, you know, that resulted in lots of medications, doctor visits, surgeries, uh, just pain, lots of pain. Um, then five years ago, almost, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which is something that both my mom and my grandma had, which kind of, it's like a 0.9% chance that I would mm. get MS. Mm. So I call myself a one percenter um, or a unicorn, you know, just rare. Uh, <laughs> and then um, a 
the last, well, two years ago, I had to have a hysterectomy and that came after over five years of an infertility journey with IUIs, IVF, um, and the MS of course complicated that journey, but uh, my mom passed away. <laughs> this sounds like, <laughs> like, uh, press, press one for, for pediatric illness, press two for, for chronic illness, press three. Just, you're, co you're covering, you're covering the gamut. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, what, whatever type of grief, uh, you, you want to talk about, I'm here for you. Um, my mom passed away from complications of her MS, uh, 11 years ago. And about five years ago, my dad stopped communicating with me. So, you know, it's been, it's been an yeah. interesting last decade <laughs> to yeah. say the least. Which is interesting. I think that's as long as I've known you. I think, uh, it's been about 10 or 11 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We met at Eastlake. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Well, I think everyone listening needs to, you know, take a breath and realize like, <laughs> yes, that's, a, that is a lot. And it's a lot for, um, for such a young life. Um, you know, that you, you're not that old and you have been through a lot. And I, um, appreciate you sharing. It's, I think that we don't want to, um, minimize everything you just stated, each would be a very difficult grief in itself to mm -hmm. have lived and gone through. So one of the things I wanted to start off with, because I think when I listen to you share, I can immediately feel a deep sense of insecurity about my own complaints or life or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I pick up the phone perhaps to call you. And when you say, how are you doing? I hesitate to say, Oh, it's so hard right now. You know, yeah. my baby, all my babies, you know, all my chill, my, my huge house of children, <laughs> you know, they're just driving me crazy. And, um, you know, oh, and my parents, you know, they just want to see me all the time. I mean, I could imagine <laughs> I could probably hit every, you know, and it's hard. It's hard to know. Um, I, I think I'd like to hear what's that like for you when when you're in a relationship, you know, mm -hmm. as we are, what's it like for you? If I, if I call and share, or, you know, you don't have to say me, but maybe if someone calls and shares something, is it hard for you um, to kind of make sense of that? Or, or what's that like? Not usually. Um, there's moments like during the infertility journey when, mm -hmm. uh, cause you know, we were that age where everyone's yeah. having their first or second, sometimes third kids. So there were a lot of baby announcements, baby showers, um, and those were tough. Yeah. Um, but it's also part of celebrating the people in your mm -hmm. life, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a way that even though it hits you, um, and again, it's not all the time. It's just mm -hmm. at certain moments, right? Yeah. But like when those announcements came, you celebrate with them. You you are happy for them genuinely. Yeah. And you carry that grief, right? So it's. Yeah. Um, I think that's the the interesting thing about grief is learning to live with that duality. Right, carrying these two things in tension that you can love and um, support someone that's having a different experience than you. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm thinking um, of this concept that you shared with me before about, and I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about um, emotional versus situational grief. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was really powerful and a way for people to be able to relate, even if we don't have the same, um, the same griefs or the same experiences. Do you mind sharing a little bit about, uh, what, what that means? Yeah, not at all. And so my counselor shared this with me. Uh, I went, I started going to her two years ago. <laughs> um, and 
I came in and just fell apart and basically just gave you, you know, gave her the same introduction that I gave <laughs> you and everyone listening. Like, and then, and, and then, then, and then, <laughs> and uh, I made the statement that it, I feel like I need five or six people in order to relate to everything I've been through, you know, just yeah. feeling so alone and um, so unique in my grief. Mm, yeah. And she said, let's look at situational versus emotional empathy. Mm -hmm. And like, what, what? And she explained it that instead of inviting people to um, to meet me in my situation, in my experience, like, oh yeah, well, have you know, have have you had childhood chronic illness? Have have you gone through infertility? Um, yeah. You know, do you suffer with with MS? Break away from those specifics. Mm -hmm. Name what I'm actually feeling and experiencing, and then invite that person to remember a time when they felt that way. So yeah. for example, with the, with the MS, I, like, fatigue is terrible, mm. absolutely terrible. And yeah. I don't sleep well, right? You go through phases where you're so tired, but you can't sleep. Yeah. So instead of saying, oh yeah, is your body fighting you at every turn? Um, asking like my parent friends when mm. their baby has been up all night, right? Mm. Yeah. They're exhausted. And so inviting them of... Hey, do you remember when when your kid cried all night? Like how tired you were, right? And then so there's there's yeah. a a point of connection yeah. there that it's not a a comparison, right? right. And that, that's what I think people um, like you know, like you said, they they feel that it's like a oh well I'm not I don't have the level of suffering or grief that you do. Yeah. But we all have um, similar experiences as just being human. Yeah, right. right. There's that that emotional, um, like maybe the connection that we can make is I've felt that way or I yes. have experienced that emotion. Yes. Um, and how important it is then for, you know, even you and I in relationship with each other, it's like our job then is to make sure that I'm paying attention to my own emotions and feelings. So I can say to you, not, I know what, Oh, I know exactly how that feels, but I can do a good job of imagining. Right. Okay. Fatigue. I, I, I have felt that. And, and we can, you know, there's, there could be some connection there. Not that we have to have the exact same lived experience. So I love that, that emotional versus situational empathy. Yeah. Um, is is so helpful yes i i was thinking that in those lines in the um you know that we each have our this unique grief experience really right that you could even meet someone else that maybe has had a few of those same experiences you have but you might not even feel like it's the same you won't exactly. feel like oh my gosh this is exactly the same right yes and so even recognizing a room full of parents who have lost a child are going to yes. have vastly different experiences, vastly different emotions, feelings, and we can't assume a one size fits all. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I think that one of the things you and I have talked about is, um, Kuba Ross, right? Yes. Um, so Elizabeth Kuba Ross, um, Swiss psychiatrist, 1969, uh, she introduced these five, five grief states in her book, um, on death and dying. And, mm -hmm. Um, the book was really geared more towards people dealing with terminal illness themselves, right? And so maybe some of them, the stages you would go through right. um, if you were actually, I mean, her book is called On Death and Dying. Yes. Um, <laughs> it is explicitly titled that way. Some people have taken like this to mean I'm going to go through first denial, then anger, and then as though it's like um, stepping blocks, you know, and then once I get to acceptance, I'm good to go. Right. And... <laughs> That's not, that was never her intention no. and it's kind of been misused that way. Um, and I can understand people, you know, even hearing them, they, you can feel people cringing at the thought yes. of like, that we're going to say, yes, here's your five stages. Exactly. <laughs> what not I, that clean. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, what I appreciate is the thought though, that 
their five common grief emotions yes. that most likely people who are grieving or who, or who will grieve mm -hmm. are going to experience along the lines. Yes. Some, some of these. Um, so I'll, I'll repeat them for people in case they don't know. Uh, the, a denial, and we don't even have to say first because they can come at yes. any order, right? So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Mm -hmm. Can you share, I think sometimes um, some of them can make sense just when you hear it, anger, right. it's like, we know what that is. But can you can you give us an example in terms of denial? I feel like that one is sometimes hard to... Yes. Um, to, to put language to. Yeah, it's definitely misunderstood um, because it's it sounds like, you know, if you're in denial, you're saying, oh, the death didn't happen or the diagnosis yeah. didn't happen. And that's, that's not uh, at all what Kubler-Ross meant by that. Mm. Um, and I had kind of an aha moment about denial after my mom passed. And I was going through DSW, trying to pick out some cute shoes. <laughs> and uh, I came across this brand name, Kelly and Katie, or Katie and Kelly. And uh, cute shoes too, by the way. Um, <laughs> but when my mom worked at the Y, there were two little sisters named Katie and Kelly who mm -hmm. would always stop by her office. And it, I, I, I grabbed my phone, yeah. like, smiling, laughing, like, oh my gosh, my mom is not going to believe this hmm. and went to call her yeah. and realized, wait, <laughs> hmm. um, I can't, you know? Yeah. And that was kind of my awareness moment around denial. And my counselor hmm. who I was seeing at the time explained it as it's your brain protecting you from being mm. overwhelmed by the new reality, right? It's yeah. it's trying, it's a, it's a period where you're integrating the new truth, like the new reality mm -hmm. and reconciling with the past, right? Yeah. Like my mom was yeah. here and now she is not. Yes. And as you're adjusting into the new, she's not here, like how does right. that life look? How do relationships look? Um, it's, yeah that's, that's denial. Yeah. And you know what I, um, as you're talking, I'm thinking of clients that, um, speak about the person in present tense. Yes. Like they, they use present. You're, you're literally talking about like their, you know, this person's death or yes. the fact that they died, but they're talking about it. They refer to the person in present tense. Yes. And I hear it, you know, because I think again, a person on the outside of it, it is almost like you, you overhear it. You know, it's almost yes. like a, so obvious, <laughs> but they, they don't notice right. in some ways that they're speaking about it in the present tense. And I think, um, like a side note, don't correct people. Yes. You know, like the denial is not unhealthy. Yes. It's not like, like you, I appreciate what you're saying. Like it's, it's not that you're denying it happened. It is your, you can, you can see, that it's almost like this transition period of making sense of it yes. and of giving people the, you know, almost using the same present tense. Yes, exactly. You know, kind of taking the cue from the person. Um, That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. In, in terms, so when I think about some of these emotions and feelings, um, I'm wondering, you know, even in that moment or other moments where you've experienced one of these, um, when you're in it, is it helpful, maybe after the fact, if you can identify that it's one of those, you know, anger and denial, bargaining, yes. is that a helpful thing in your absolutely. grief process? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. After mm -hmm. my mom passed, I, the shift in how my brain worked and my emotional state, I felt like I was going crazy. Yeah. Like I really felt like... Uh oh, <laughs> uh, and I told my counselor that, and she very graciously said, "No, this is your body and mind mm. protecting you, right? This is yeah. this is what your brain does to help you process, right? You will yeah. feel the full spectrum of emotions again mm. eventually, right? It won't just be the three settings of you know yeah. tears, 
rage, numbness, you know, like <laughs> you will feel that full spectrum again in time once your brain understands mm -hmm. that it's safe for you to. But yeah. if you felt all the emotions now, it would overwhelm you. So yeah. that helped. And then being able to title that, you know, picking up my cell phone in DSW mm. as, okay, that's denial, right? It really helped kind of like break that fear of, oh my gosh, I'm broken, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. this, uh -oh. like there's something really <laughs> <Yes>. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Did I not remember my mom died? Yeah. Like, so being able to title it denial, it's like, okay, yeah. okay. It's, but maybe, it's all good. And, but maybe only you. I, I can imagine like if someone was like, well, that's your denial. It's like, right. Maybe yes. give the person permission to, you know, if you're having an angry moment. Um, here's mm -hmm. what I thought is like, probably not every angry moment right. is a grief anger moment. Right. Like when you get caught off on the freeway or when Aaron doesn't put away his socks oh, and you Aaron. feel, Aaron, <laughs> um, that feeling of anger, would you say is different? You know, can you decipher between like, I'm feeling angry, like grief, anger yes. and other, is there a difference for you? Vastly for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And again, yeah. it's going right. back to that grief experience. Sure. It's going to be different for everyone. Right. Yeah. Um, kind of like with MS as a chronic illness, there's such a, it, it's so personalized and individualized that, you know, I have MS. I know three other people that have MS. We all have different MS, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's the same with grief, right? So uh, if, um, it, I think that the difference for me was that the anger was instantaneous. Mm. It was intense and yeah. it was at things that I do not normally get mad at. <laughs> For example, yeah, got it. I was, uh, I think I was getting lunch with someone or I, I was at a restaurant. Um, that's the other thing about grief for me was mm. it's, I have very spotty memory for mm. about a year uh, sure. following the death, but I was at a restaurant and there was a mom and a daughter and the mm. daughter was about my age. And they were out to lunch, you know, laughing, sure. chatting, having a great time. And I got so mad. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, you know, they, why do they get to do that? And why, why couldn't I have that with my mom? And yeah. I'll never have that with my mom. It, I don't get yeah. mad at women having lunch. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, it's grief, sure. grief, anger is, um, it also showed up like at work when people were talking about, oh, well, we need to, uh, you know, like dumb things, right? Like, well, what yeah. about this policy? Or how are we going to talk about this project? I'm like, sure. it doesn't matter. Matter. Yeah. doesn't matter. You know, my mom has died. <laughs> yeah. So it, it mm. grief anger shows up in very, very random places. Um, yeah. And yeah, probably not around the areas that again for me i know some people sure. that their their grief anger shows up in all of the normal things that they would get angry at but sure. it's heightened, heightened. right so yeah. if someone cut yeah. them off on the freeway you know normally they like give their horn a, a little tap or you know <laughs> make a, a hand gesture yeah but you know after a grief they might speed up and follow that person you know get a little sure. more aggressive right so it's just yeah. It's personalized, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's real. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I was laughing, Sarah and I had exchanged some notes on <laughs> the talk before and she had listed, she had listed all of these, all five. And she had given like great examples for each. And then we got to acceptance and it just said acceptance colon. <laughs> and then it was just blank. And I thought, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense for who Sarah is. And also it just made me laugh so hard that it was just blank. Um, so I, and what's interesting though, is when I thought about acceptance, I actually used something that Sarah has shared with me. And so um, I'm giving her credit for that. But when I think of acceptance, I think sometimes, which I'm guessing is why there's a hesitancy to even write an example of it is acceptance can kind of sometimes sound like um, the person has 
decided it's all okay. Like this is all fine. I'm totally accepting of everything that happened um, as though you're kind of putting your stamp of approval on it. And that is not in the least of what acceptance no. um, in my mind signifies. And I think of it more as almost on a day-to-day -day basis, getting to a point of acceptance so you can uh, have a conversation with a friend and laugh really hard about something or um, be able to function at work, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to come to a level of acceptance to be able to function and do the things you need to do throughout the day. That really is, in a, in a sense, an acceptance. Um, also, I think of it as acceptance as learning to integrate. And your word is metabolize, which I love. Um, kind of metabolize grief. And so you, you can kind of carry it along with you. Yeah. Which is such a beautiful form of acceptance, right? Yeah. And my counselor gave me that word. And it, again, just struck me because yeah. uh, my past view of grief was very much like you had said earlier of okay you got through it pick up the lesson from it and yeah. then put you know like wrap it up with a bow and move on right um and that's absolutely that's that's actually called denial <laughs> i learned yeah. <laughs> um yeah. but acceptance is yeah metabolizing isn't that such a great yeah it's so good oh, she's yeah. yeah my counselor is phenomenal um, but she, when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, because that means that you have to ingest it, right? Yeah, you have to right. break it down. There's activity and energy yeah. that's required to metabolize. Mm -hmm. And then at, on some level, it becomes a part of you, right? right. And right. when we yeah. talked about that, um, I kind of compared it because I've had a lot of surgeries mm. and I have scars from the surgeries, mm -hmm. right? It's proof that the trauma happened um and that i healed from it mm -hmm. but things are different right and the scar is there to prove yeah. it but i don't have the pain that that surgery helped fix sure sure um so it's yeah you know it's acceptance is not um it's not stepping away it's not forgetting it's mm -hmm. not, you know, going, yeah, it happened. You know, we're going to just put a lock on that or a bow on that and walk sure. away from it. It, right. it really is being able to see the Katie and Kelly brand mm -hmm. and yep. smile and go, my mom would have loved that. Yeah. 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 It's the both, the both and, right? Yes. Yeah. Hey Eastlake, Peter here. Thanks so much for tuning in to watch this message. I wanted to do just a quick interruption to say thank you to so many of you who are making regular contributions to Eastlake. Eastlake is a nonprofit and everything that we do is because of a community of consistent and generous people who really believe in this place and want to see it continue. So uh, if you're a part of that community, thank you for how you make this place go. If you are tuning in regularly and are part of this community, but you haven't yet um, jumped in to making a financial contribution, we would encourage you to do that and encourage you to go to eastlakecc.com to help support Eastlake as a community and continue to make these messages possible. Thanks so much for uh, letting me interrupt your message. Let's jump back in. Um. Okay, we're gonna switch gears okay. slightly and we're gonna talk about what to do, what not to do. And I'm gonna caveat this by saying, uh, I want people to hear me clearly that as we're, as we're sharing these, this is not meant to be um, a place of shame, embarrassment. Um, we don't need you to go through and decide, did I do that? Have I not done that? Mm -hmm. This is really more to one kind of say like solidarity to people that have experienced this yeah. and also bring some awareness. And it's remember what I said in week one, like pain is okay. Like it's okay to feel uncomfortable and feel some pain about hearing that you might've done some of these things and maybe it wasn't very helpful. Um, but that's how we learn. That's how we grow. And I'll say, even as a trained professional, I still do not do it not only do I not do it perfectly, but I fail. Um, and I don't, I, I sometimes do put my foot in my mouth. Um, and I, and <laughs> and I will, all do. Yes. we all do. And I will probably forevermore. And that's because 
it is really hard. It's really hard yes. to always know what to say. And it's because it kind of depends on the person and on mm -hmm. the situation. So even as we say these things, someone might be saying, but hey, actually that was helpful. Or hey, I actually, that was like the most comforting thing. And it could be something that we're sharing. Don't ever do this. <laughs> so <laughs> we, you kind of do have to take this all with a grain of salt and recognize, um, like we've been saying over and over again, everybody is different. Every grief yes. experience is different. We're going to kind of share this from our own experience and kind of what I've learned and heard um, over the years. So yes. the first thing is um, avoid fixing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, and I've said this um, previously, but we don't like to see people in pain. And so we do want to, we want to fix things. And, and that's a, like, that's a good thing, right? We, if you see someone in pain, we, we should be helping them. It, it's okay to like take a sliver out of your kid's foot, like when they're in pain. Um, so we're not saying that we're not, you know, it's an okay thing for someone to be in pain. But what we're saying is a lot of times, sometimes the things we're offering for help, um, all the person is hearing is they just want me to stop feeling pain. So it could be, you know, have you tried this vitamin? Have you gone to this therapy? Have you, oh, you should read this book. Um, oh, this song really spoke to me when I was doing it. Yes. Um, do you have a, an example of someone, and again, we're not naming names, right, but people right. maybe that, again, good intention, but we're trying to fix things yeah. for you. Yeah, and it's you're so right. They are well-intentioned, and I think that's why um, for, for most of the people, uh, I didn't like it was um irritating but it wasn't yeah. infuriating right because yeah, sure, I, I knew sure. their hearts i knew yeah. that they wanted to help me yeah. right yeah. and um like for example uh i think it was just a couple months after my mom died uh some friends like bought me a ticket with um there was a large group of our friends that went to a concert mm. and like, Oh, it's going to be so fun. We're going to go out to mm. dinner before. And then, you know, uh, you know, have fun at the concert, um, buy a couple drinks and, you know, just really have fun. And they kept <laughs> emphasizing fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Oh, this sounds so exhausting. Like all I want to do is just be at home on the couch, you know, like, yeah. yeah. But I went because like I knew their hearts. And mm -hmm. um, so I think that's kind of the safe fixing is when yeah. you know the person and you know their intention. Sure. But there, you sure. know, there's definitely others where it's like they almost tell you like, okay, your grief yeah. has timed out, right? You should yeah. be beyond this. You should be getting over this by now. Yeah. And that's definitely, you know, so it, it runs the gambit, but <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, the next one I wrote down was stay present. Don't rush someone to the next. Okay. And we'll yes. kind of explain that what that means and don't be a future teller mm -hmm. and don't make guesses. Okay. So kind of, um, my thought was don't, um, uh, make like I, I can imagine someone, maybe a young person has passed away and someone says, well, you know, maybe later in life he was going to be addicted to whatever, or he was going to, he was going to be killed in a giant, you know, I mean, like just all the things that mm -hmm. could have happened right. that somehow someone's saying like, because that could have happened to him later, it's probably best that, you know, they right. passed away now. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, maybe you, you don't say things like that out loud. And if you need to go say them to someone else not like in the test grief. it out yeah test it out with someone else and say like this would be a helpful thing to share and you know what it's not bad I, I think I want to say it's not bad to have those thoughts right but it's like the sharing of them maybe right. that you want to think about right um did people did people kind of I don't know were some of those platitudes used oh my gosh yes um I think that's probably the most common um type of response yeah. Uh, like after the years of infertility and even during the years of infertility, mm. um, people saying, well, why don't you just adopt? It's like, yeah. why didn't you just adopt? Right. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, right. oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and then, um, at, 
actually at my mom's memorial, there were so many people because she, her MS was severe and mm -hmm. she was in a, a quadriplegic state when mm -hmm. she passed and she was young. She was only 55. And so people were coming up and saying, oh, at least she is not suffering anymore right yeah. like at least she's not in pain what kind of a life would that have been anyway it's like ah sure. oh, mm -hmm. that's um, no 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 just yeah. don't don't jump to the future don't put things yeah. on us kind of a almost like a a sliding scale of pain yeah like like oh it's so good that this didn't yes happen. yes yeah. it's like no but this did happen Right. So that's, right. I, I love that staying present because yeah. then you're with the person in the grief that they have and you're right. not project. I mean, how helpful is that to say like, oh, well, you know, to use your example, oh, well, he, he could have just, you know, been, have so much more trauma and pain inflicted on him. So I'm, you know, yeah. glad that he went out this way. Like, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's not, <laughs> that's right. not helpful. Right. It's not helpful. And I, and I think people, it comes from this place, right? That sometimes we're just unable to accept that, like, it's going to be, like, this grief will last. Yes. You know, yeah. um, and we want people, we want people to just, again, it, it, it probably comes from that same place of, like, I just don't want you to be in pain. So I'm going to try to think of things to make this okay and to right. make sense of it. Like we just, which we're going to talk about it in a minute, but just trying to make sense yeah. and give a reason where like, why did this happen? Oh, this is why it happened. And it feels right. good if we can come up with a reason for it. Right. And when we yeah. like the big, the big, like, like thing is like, there is, that doesn't exist. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I would say, I think people, when they responded that way, it was either they wanted to kind of bolster me and say, mm -hmm. you know, at least she's not in pain anymore. Yeah. Um, but on the other side, it's, people are uncomfortable with um with pain and with grief and so it's almost not a hundred percent of people respond that way because they're concerned about the other person that's in grief yeah. it's that they themselves cannot approach grief without being very shaken yeah. and you you know unfortunately the person in grief has to kind of distinguish like right <laughs> okay are you doing this because you right it's just for me or exactly, you exactly exactly yeah. exactly yeah, that makes a lot of sense either way it's hurtful but you know yeah one way it's a little more i guess tolerable <laughs> yeah it's like you can maybe understand it but again it's putting a lot of um responsibility on the shoulders of the person grieving yes when they're having to decide that too yeah. right yeah um and then we, we've talked about this a little bit but just like not comparing grief so it's just not a time for what's on like a one, I'm sorry, one's upmanship. Yes. <laughs> um, and you've said, you know, at least she's not in pain anymore. Yeah. Um, or, you know, at, at least you got to have this experience with her, you know, yes. I did. I've never had that. Or, um, at least you can, I think there's a really funny, actually a really funny SNL skit where they're like, you know, well, at least you can have children. I mean, and the reason it's a skit on <laughs> SNL is because when you hear it, it is hard not to laugh. Yes. Um, and so I'm going to, um, I think, do you, well, let's see. I'm going to go on to the next one. Um, avoid making the person who is grieving comfort you, which is what we, I wanted to come to that because we were just kind of talking about that, that it is hard to support people who are grieving, yes, right? And so yes. the importance of needing to have your own support system. Like if, if you're helping a friend grieve, like you also need then Yes. people that you're relying on to help you help them, um, exactly. if that makes sense. And that's the people to go and say some of those things to. And because it's processing grief, yes. that's, we have to sometimes say things like that um, because it's how we're making sense of it. Mm -hmm. However, I've done the thing and I've just done it lately where I've texted friends. Oh, I feel like I haven't been there for you. I probably have texted mm -hmm. that to you, Sarah Nystrom. Um, <laughs> or, you know, oh, I feel like I'm not showing up for you like I wish I could. And all that really does is then force you or people I've texted that to, to say, it's okay, you're good, mm -hmm. you know, you're right, doing right, right. enough. And then I can go, thank you, and like fall asleep. <laughs> um, and the reality is, I, you know, it really is forcing the person to validate then 
my own discomfort of not being able to show up the way that I would like to. Mm -hmm. um, the, another way I think people do this is if they if there's a diagnosis, you know, right. like let's say you're MS or it's cancer or some other illness, um, a lot of times people will ask questions right off the bat that are really asking, am I going to get this too? Right. And like, what's the <laughs> likelihood of me getting it? And let me check out the symptoms I've been having lately to make sure that I don't have the symptoms that you've had. And it, again, it fully shifts the focus yes. onto you or, mm -hmm. you know, onto the person instead of just being present in the story that they're sharing. And you know what? You can go and ask your primary care doctor right. or a friend <laughs> about other things that you're, that you are fearful of, go read on it, right, you know, yes, instead yes. of making it the person who's literally just been diagnosed to be your teacher and your right. educator about their illness. Right. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add on that, but I, <laughs> I think I overly identify myself in that category sometimes. You're so funny. No, I, um, I, 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 I don't remember at like any time feeling that from you, from your text. So, okay, well, you know, that's uh, kind. <laughs> you're kind. Um, but I don't, I don't think that there was any, um, at least I'm not remembering, I should say yeah. any time that, uh, people like felt like, Oh, MS. Oh dear. Like, Oh, well, I've also been having, you know, numbness in my in my sure. arm like <laughs> sure it's probably tendonitis because you know yeah. <laughs> um, yeah but it's um i'd say again it's it goes back to being present right it's right. uh allowing that person to process the diagnosis yeah. the death whatever the grief um because uh, uh, at least for me that first year after my diagnosis i really didn't tell anyone like i told mm. you and our yeah. group of friends and yeah. like the people close to me yeah um but it took me a while to metabolize that diagnosis mm. and to go yeah. okay my ms is not my mom's ms it's not my grandma's ms right so yeah. i need to own my ms and yeah. it, it took me a while to do that yeah. and i think yeah. if people had been a little more aggressive in like, uh oh, is this, is this something that I, you know, yeah. what, what about this symptom? What about this symptom? Right. I think it would have been very damaging. Yeah. Um, so, you know, take that yeah. for what it's yeah. worth. But I, yeah. you know, sometimes after a grief, you have to withdraw for a little bit, right? Just yeah. to kind of self-preserve until yeah. you're ready to have conversation around it. Yeah, which is good to know that the pulling away isn't. Um, maybe don't take that as offensive, right? right that that, right. that really could be. And is it okay? Do you would you think people could just say like, "Hey, it seems like you might be needing some space," you know, almost yeah. to for people. That's a way to still say like, "Hey, I'm here," and it seems like you might need space, and I'm I'm here when you're ready. Yes. Um, you know, Absolutely. rather than making an assumption that means the person's mad or, you know, right. yeah. some of our insecure own insecurities could come out. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, after my mom passed, my actually during the process, you know, it was a two week process. And after her death, uh, my friend Stephanie would text me literally every day and just say, mm -hmm. you don't need to text or call. Just know that I'm yeah. here. I love you. You know, I'm remembering your mom. Um, just very... So she was present without forcing yeah. me to be um, present, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. She, right. She was there and supportive and visible without being um, kind of pushing her way into the situation. Yeah. But yeah. she was just waiting. Yeah. And she made it okay that I wasn't ready to talk yet. And that's yeah. just, that has been oh, one of God. the most valuable experiences that mm. I took away, right? Because I'm also right. awkward around grief and loss. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Like yeah. it's it's universal. It and it yeah. doesn't matter like what level of grief or loss you've experienced. You you may have more um kind of understanding of what the person is going through, sure. but I still get super awkward and like, yeah. okay, am I texting too much? Am I calling right. too much? Am I not calling right. enough? Like, right. did, and then you, you know, wordsmith, like, oh no, did I, should I use that word? Or, so it's just, right. Yes. It's almost like, <laughs> it's almost as though it, the relationship matters. Yes. Like consider the relationship yes. that you have with the person and that probably will help determine what you should or should not do. Right. Because yeah. 
the the deeper or maybe just more the closer the relationship the more i think i have permission in a way to say like okay sarah i'm gonna say this right and you i'm trusting that you're gonna tell me if this is insensitive where i can't say that to right. you know maybe someone i'm not as close with right absolutely um so we're just, we're doing a brief, we're not going to go super deep into this, but acknowledging that um, there's been, that religion and spiritualizing grief or kind of religion, I don't, I can't make that into a verb, um, <laughs> over spiritualizing grief yes. is very difficult to reconcile. It's a yes. common for people who are grieving to have some sort of, you know, um, crisis of faith or loss or mm -hmm. not, right? But just once people then also begin to add in their own um, spiritual lens or religious lens mm -hmm. onto someone's grief, um, it can be really a difficult experience. And so yes. um, I know you had written like avoid religious platitudes. Yes. Um, do you want to just throw some out that you remember hearing? Oh my goodness. Yes. There, <laughs> um, my mom was in, um, at the time that she passed, she was in a church that was very, um, uh, intense, I'll say. Um, and the religious platitudes, I mean, kind of ran a, a really big hmm. spectrum. Um, everything from, you know, heaven needed another angel, uh, God just missed her too much, kind of the hallmark really dark things if you stop yeah. to think about them yeah. like oh dear like god misses you and then just smites you like yeah. oh ah uh, <laughs> you might want to rethink your faith yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then the of course the classic everything happens for a reason yeah. right like right right well yeah wouldn't like living be better <laughs> yeah right um and then uh it was her testimony in mm. death, like how um, kind of her her journey towards death, um, she honored God. And so she's going to bring a lot of people, like her death is going to bring a lot of people yeah. into the kingdom. I'm like, yeah. couldn't she have done that when she was alive? Like, right. <laughs> she's not going to talk to people anymore, right? She's right. not going to be able to share her faith. Right. With anyone anymore. There's so other, how... there's other, there's other yes, ways. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so those kind of like instantaneous, really dark hallmark yeah. platitudes. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting. They're even saying dark because I don't think they are ever like people don't realize how dark they sound. Right. Right. Because they're, they're so normal. Them. Yeah. Right. They're so like right. expected, you know, heaven yeah. needed another angel. Yeah. Oh, it sounds really, you know, cute and it, sweet. And yeah, it's, it's really not. It's like terrifying. Yes, actually. exactly. Because right. <laughs> now, now you're living in like fear of, uh oh, when heaven yeah. needs another angel is, is like my right. number up. Right. Yeah. Like when, when does, when do you apply for that? Like what's right. the employee? <laughs> exactly. When is there a line? Exactly. Um, I hear you echoing things that, um, when you said that it made me think of my dissertation, which you know a lot about because Sarah was indeed my editor <laughs> for my dissertation. And, um, I wrote on this topic of grief and I, I'm just going to briefly share that w one of the I think the thing actually, Sarah, you and I probably talked about a lot was this idea of, of meaning making. And yes. it's so much often um, talked about in, in grief research is this idea of meaning making. And I think both of you, both you and I kind of cringed at like, what do you mean meaning making? Because yes. it sounds like people trying to make reason yes. out of and, and find like, oh, this is why this mm -hmm. happened. And, and it's a natural human tendency to want to do that in, right. when we are faced with trauma and, and, um, tragedy, we want to find meaning in it. And what I found in my dissertation, what you and I talked about too, is, um, this idea that the death or the tragedy doesn't have to have meaning. It, it, you do not have to find meaning in that, but that the meaning comes from your life. Like you do need, we do as humans need a meaning and purpose to live. Yeah. And so a lot of, in my, in my dissertation, I found that people that, um, did things like create foundations, um, after a death or, you know, perhaps, um, and, and people might come to mind of, of, um, maybe there's a golf tournament or an auction or, or things done mm -hmm. in memory. And does that really help someone in the process of grief? And in some ways 
it actually keeps them um, close to the tragedy and depending mm -hmm. on what it is and it can be hard <laughs> and, and difficult yeah. to kind of face that over and over again. However, and, and I would say people, people on the outside tend to say, oh my gosh, you know, this great thing wouldn't have happened if that person hadn't died or this, right. this great thing. And I, I think sometimes the, the, the idea that that gives meaning to the death right. is it, it's like, Ooh, let's back up and say that, <laughs> no, it actually is giving meaning to the, the people who are living. It might be, yes. be giving meaning to their life. Right. Yes. And it, and it can be a great place um, for them to just learn how to live again, post, um, you know, the trauma or the tragedy that happened. Yes. Um, so I wanted to mention that and it feels like just that idea of meaning. Um, I think when we say what not to do, it's important to recognize that we don't want to put meaning on things for people. Right. Right. Um, and again, I, I want to just kind of mention like, we know that and I do, I know I have good intentions <clears throat> and sometimes it's just not enough. Right. My good intentions fall short and I have to be willing to say, I'm sorry or apologize mm -hmm. or recognize where I haven't done it well and yeah. push myself to, to go beyond my good intentions sometimes. Right. Yeah. And that's, um, it's being, again, going back to being present, right? It's looking at the impact versus the intent. And that takes humility and yeah. bravery, yeah. right? Because I mean, and, and it's so true. It's true in every aspect of life, right? Like if Aaron and I are bickering and he like says something and I realize, oh no, I'm, I was in the wrong, <laughs> yeah. you know, I can yeah. either dig my, dig my feet in or right. dig my heels in and say, no, and <laughs> double down, or I can pause and go, you're right. I am sorry. Yeah. Right. And it's, yeah, that's um, all it needs. Exactly. Exactly. Right? It's not a reflection on your character or your yeah. intention. If you apologize, all it is, is it's recognizing the impact that your well-intentioned had on someone. Right. Right. And it's, right. if you're, if your true goal is to help them, then what right. is it going to harm if you say, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's like the relationship is the, you know, is yes. the thing, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Briefly, I want to get to our grief practices because I'm excited about them. So we, we made a really brief little list of what to do because honestly, the best thing you can do is just show up mm -hmm. um, and be present and get your own therapy and support, right? <laughs> like make sure you're taking good care of yourself. Yes. Have boundaries with what you are doing for others so it doesn't become resent like resentment building. Yes. Um, giving permission to the person grieving to, to not be okay. Like it's okay that they're not okay. Yeah. And can you just sit with them? Yes. Um, again, though we're not we're not minimizing those things. They're still really hard to do, but yes. it's simpler, I think, than what we imagine sometimes, right? Yes, absolutely. And the the sitting with people, my friend Jenny, after my mom died, mm. she brought a bottle of wine and literally sat on the couch and cried with me. Yeah. And we shared stories of our moms. You know, yeah. and it was yeah, it didn't require anything of me, and it was yeah, one of the most beautiful moments. Yeah, following my mom's death. Thank you. I appreciate that. Will you share your grief practice with us? Yes. So I, um, my counselor has been working with me on uh, self-compassion and mm -hmm. self-care, which I bristled at. Like, I don't like massages. I don't want to go get a <laughs> facial, right? I don't want right, people right, touching my right. hair. I don't care to, like, I'm not going to go get my nails done, um, and she kind of chuckled and was like, yeah, that's, um, that's products, right? That's capitalism uh, selling themselves as self-care, self-care, uh, because I'm someone who likes to, um, to be productive. Right. And I, mm -hmm. I love to create, I love to write. Yeah. She goes, self-care for you might be putting time aside to write or read yeah. self-care yeah. might be getting something checked off of your to-do list mm -hmm. that's been hanging over your head, right? Yeah. Like making yeah. time to get right. it done. I was like, oh, 
I love that. Okay, that I can do, right? Mm -hmm. I can get behind that. Um, so I've, that, that clarification kind of freed me yeah. up to start taking care of myself and to give myself compassion. Right. Um, and this is kind of a, a random example, but with the arthritis, my hands will sometimes get bad mm -hmm. and like stiff and just not working well. Yeah. And the other day I kept dropping my pen and I was getting so frustrated with myself mm -hmm. and I had to pause and say, okay, hands, <laughs> I'm going to slow down and I'm going to listen to what you're telling me, which is I'm either moving too fast or I'm not listening to the pushback that you're giving me of, I can't right. do this right now, mm -hmm. but I've just, and then not, not pushing, um, that knowledge aside, right? Not going into denial. Right. And also not going into fear, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh no, is this how it's going to be forever? Yeah. Um, is where my brain usually goes in moments yeah. like that. But of just being present and giving myself that compassion and my body yeah. that compassion. And it's mm -hmm. the same with grief as, as you're feeling these things come up, as you are experiencing things, offer yourself deep compassion and grace. Yeah. I love that. Um, mine that I just thought of, um, and I actually read in, so I didn't think of it. I shouldn't say I thought of it, but I thought to share of it, um, is in Megan Devine's book that um, we will obviously link. Is She talks about um, a writing exercise where you're pretty much, um, you're thinking about if your grief is a character, who can come forward and speak? What kind of voice does it have? Mm. And so you take a few minutes to just be quiet, to sit down and you maybe you're closing your eyes and you're asking your grief, who are you? Mm. Um, and what do you sound like? And what do you need to say? And you're writing almost in grief's voice wow. and giving it a personification in some ways, right? To let it speak to you. Um, and what I thought would be interesting is, it, what I love about that is you could do it throughout all of life, right? Yes. Because grief, grief is so present. And it would be interesting too, to track like how your grief's voice changes as you shift and change and how you yes. evolve and how it changes too. Yes. Um, so we're offering those. Um, will you share that, um, that what your, I think your counselor also gave you that kind of um, mantra mm -hmm. that, Yep. You know what I'm talking about? It's, um, yeah, it's, I got this about probably six, seven years ago. And it's, it has angered me mm. so many times, but it's only four lines. And it says, this is a moment of suffering. Mm. Suffering is a part of life. May I be kind to myself in this moment. And may I give myself the compassion that I need. And it's, it's something that I've had to stop and say to myself quite a few times, like this is a moment of suffering, acknowledging the right. pain or the fear or whatever is coming up in that moment of grief. Yeah. Suffering is a part of life, that this is not something that is unique to you, right? right? This is something that's common to humanity. And so normalizing being in grief, it's not something you have to push aside or you know be okay from. And then may I give myself the compassion I need and may I be kind to myself, right? It's going back to that self-compassion, that self-care. Uh, and my counselor told me to ask myself in those moments, what is the kindest thing I can do for myself in this moment, yeah. right? Is it taking a step back to pause and say, oh, body, you are, you're suffering, right? Like, let me run my hands under some warm water or right. let me... Um, massage my knuckles you know it's just like yeah it doesn't exactly. have to be big things yeah. but yeah yeah I love that okay well as we wrap up um the last thing we're going to do is Sarah's going to share a poem um and when the poem is done we're just going to kind of end and leave you in that space but I just wanted to commend you for hanging on yes um, I know that this has been a long conversation that Sarah and I have shared but it is it is a big topic and yeah. it's difficult and it's um, it really shows your own resiliency. So thank you for joining us. It, it shows your resiliency and your capacity to kind of hold and carry difficult things. So um, from the first week, I hope that you remember that grief is not a finish line or something to be accomplished. 
um, from the second week, I hope you remember and, and maybe reflect on how trauma and grief are passed along generationally. Um, and um, that hope is allowing space to tell our stories as Roy shared with us. Um, and lastly, I hope you know that your grief experience is unique to you and that kindness to self is a great place to begin to move and metabolize your grief. Um, Sarah, thank you so, so very much for coming and sharing and, and being so vulnerable. Um, I'm sure both of us will have, um, as Brenny Brown terms, vulnerability hangovers after yeah. this. <laughs> um, so I hope that you take good care of yourself um, today. I thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Uh, the poem is called Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.